0: recently Netflix they did a three-part series on the former California governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and one of the lead stories to promote this Netflix series is about what he believes about the afterlife and what Arnold in this interview was doing is he was giving his thoughts and his opinions about heaven, hell, the afterlife and I, I thought they were kind of curious now, the 75-year-old actor approached the topic after being asked by Danny DeVito, Danny, DeVito, Danny DeVito, who was 78, uh, what's in the future for us during an in-depth conversation for Interview Magazine? And this is what he said. They were asked the question, what's in it for us? This is what he said. It reminds me of Howard Stern's question to me. Tell me, Governor, what happens to us when we die? Hmm. What do you think about that? This is what he said, nothing, you're six feet under, anyone who tells you something else is a blanking liar. That's how they introduced this story, this Netflix series, about Arnold Schwarzenegger and about life and what he believes about life, what he believes about God, what he believes about the afterlife. And I thought to myself, wow, number one, how sad that this is it. This is it. And the other thing I thought about is what about all of the wonderful promises that we have been given in this book? The way that it tells us that, that this God who loves us, this creator God who loves us came to the earth. to live live among us. And he did all of these wonderful things to reveal himself to us in such a way that we are his children, that we can be his children. And we have all of these incredible promises from God's word that as I read the Bible and as I study it, as I meditate on it, every day if I do this, I'm confronted with the reality of who God is and what he wants to do for us. And so we read texts like this in Psalm 145 that says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. Listen, no matter where you're at, you call and cry out to the Lord. The Bible says that he's here. 1 Peter chapter 5 or 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. No matter what you are going through today, cast it on Jesus. Why? Because he cares all of it on him. Because he cares for you. What about Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? Many have have memorized this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No matter what I'm going through, the difficulties and challenges of life, Christ comes inside of my life to change me. And it says I can bear all of those things up through the word of God, through the spirit of God. What about 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16 that says this? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. You know, the, the world is looking for hope. The world is looking for peace. And the Bible simply says that God can give us peace at all times and in every way. Do you believe that? About who our God is and what he's done for us To the people at Ephesus, some of you have memorized this verse. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think according to the power that resides within us, God can do mighty and amazing things through the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And what about Romans chapter 8, verse 28 that says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That as we sit here, as I stand here, whatever is going on in your life, God is fully capable to bring honor and glory and work good out of that. If we will submit our lives and trust and follow him. We have all of these wonderful promises in the Bible. And what I would say is that all of those promises come to us because of who Jesus is. And it's all by what? It's all by his grace. I don't have to earn it. I can't manufacture it. I can respond to God and I can trust him. And it says this, that he will pour out his grace on us. His grace is enough for all of us. And so we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, in our text, and it talks about God's grace again. We're in a series this summer about God's grace, about God's wonderful, abounding grace that God comes to us and he gives to us. Even though we're undeserving and sinful people, he comes and he, and he gives of himself to us. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, we have these words, and, and, and let me read them for you. Notice what it says about God's grace. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Why? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good I don't know about you, but that is an incredibly powerful verse about God's grace and the circumstances of my life and the circumstances of your life and what God wants to provide for us, not so that I can harbor them and pull them in and put them in my closet and hide them somewhere, so that I can then be a conduit of grace to other people. God wants to grace me. He wants to bless me so that I can be a blessing to other people. And notice what it says. God is, God is able. That word able means this. That God is powerful enough. Listen, nothing can hinder him. Nothing can stop him. God is powerful enough to, to make a, a, an axe head float in the water for Elisha. He's, he's powerful enough to save three men from a burning furnace. And he's powerful enough through the person of Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. And if that is true, how much more can he radically change and alter our lives? And see, so what we, what we learn this morning from this verse is this, there's a purpose for God's grace in our life that it would abound in our life, that God would provide all that we need in all the circumstances of our life so that we can then be a conduit of God's grace to other people. In other words, what God desires to do is he desires to bless us abundantly. It could be financially, it could be in some other way, but he wants to bless us in such a way that what we do is we have the opportunity to go out and be a blessing to other people. That means I have money in the bank. That means I have money in my savings account. I mean means have food on the table. And then I have a little extra so that I can help the person around me who's in need of help. That's, that's what God wants us to do. And, and the text reads, you will abound in every good work. What it means is that God wants to use the circumstances of our life. And he wants to pour out blessing upon us so that I can then be a blessing to other people. And that's what we're going to see this morning. That God wants us in his grace. He wants us to be a conduit of grace And the way that we va- value and look at our finances our time, our tr- anything, all the things that we have been entrusted, all of the things that we are stewards of, he wants to use them in such a way that we become a blessing to other people. I'm going to invite you, if you haven't turned to it yet, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And what Paul is doing, Paul is writing this second letter to the people of Corinth. He's writing to them, and what he does is this. There was probably a really well-known proverb. We're all familiar with Proverbs. And there was probably a well-known proverb, you reap what you sow. And what Paul does is he takes that proverb and he applies it to our lives, he applies it to Christians, and it talks about giving generously, about giving in such a way that we can be a blessing to other people. Because God wants us not to harbor and hang on to our stuff like misers, but he wants to grace us so that we can be cheerfully giving to other people. This text says this, that God loves a cheerful giver. It's like Diana talked about. And the person, the little, the little person that's losing a tooth. And, and what do they want? They wanted their tooth to fall out during VBS because they knew they were going to get a a dollar under their pillow so that they could take that dollar and bring it and support CEF. And I wish, I wish I had a heart like that. And that's what Paul would like us to do. Hear the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. says this, remember this. This is the Lord speaking to us. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse nine, as it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God wants us to be a conduit of grace so that we can bless other people and that ultimately God is honored and God is glorified and God is thanked. What a great description of life. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the grace that you've poured out to us. Thank you for the privilege we have of gathering this morning, sitting under the umbrella of your word and hopefully being challenged so that we can be the kind of people that you would have us to be, Lord. Kind and loving and generous with the resources that you have given to us, Lord. Father, thank you that you are the one that we love. You are the one that's radically changed our life. You have changed our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that we have an orientation to you and not to the world and to our culture. So, Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, while this passage, no doubt, focuses on the idea of money and giving and how we would be stewards of that, it also touches on every area, our talents, is the resources, the things that God has given to you, you are a steward of. It's your time, your talent, and your treasure. You are a steward. We're going to be called to account for all of those things. And what's interesting, in the Bible, a lot of times, most of the time, it deals with the issues of the heart because our heart has an inclination toward things that we shouldn't get involved in. Proverbs 27, verse 19, notice what it says. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Let me ask you, what's in your heart? Jesus, God deals with the heart, if you will, and the heart reflects what's going on inside of us. What are the priorities of my life? Um... I thought this is an interesting way to be reminded of the issues of the heart. Uh, There's an inscription on a 16th century Scottish silver bowl or maser. And a maser was a medieval communal drinking cup that was passed around at feasts. So maybe you would gather with your family. Maybe you would gather with your friends. And you had this communal cup in which you would share. You would pass around and everyone would drink out of it. So this is a 16th century Watson maser. And the inscription on this particular one was this, money lost, little lost, honor lost, much lost, heart lost, all lost. And they were passing this around among friends as a reminder in the context of community that we need to deal with our heart. Jesus consistently dealt with our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you something. Where's your treasure? What do you treasure deep down inside? See, the reality is what our hands do with our money and our time and our talents reveals what our hearts are doing with God. That is so true. And what Paul is doing in writing 2 Corinthians is this. He wants to challenge the people to live and give in such a way that they are radically different in the way that they would approach their relationship with him and their relationship with other people. And he has already spoke about, in 1 Corinthians, he's already given them instruction about how to give. 1 Corinthians 16, there was an issue going on in Jerusalem They were under famine. They were under persecution. And so what Paul did is Paul said, listen, I want to challenge you people of Corinth and all other, I want to challenge you people to give in such a way to the people of Jerusalem because they're suffering. They're hurting. They don't know exactly what's going on, but they're suffering. And so Paul challenged the people of Corinth to give in such a way that it would make a difference in the lives of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we find out what happens. Paul challenged them to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have a record of how they responded. Listen to what happened. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So they had the challenge, and now grace is being poured out to them. Verse 2 In the midst of a very, a very severe trial, Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Did you read about that? These people are having their own difficulties. They're having their own challenges. And what they do is they saw the need and they urgently pleaded, Lord, we want to give to this. We want to be magnanimous. We want to give. We want to be generous and gracious to other people. We don't know how to do it, but what we're going to do is we're going to trust what you would have us to do. And what God wants to do, what Christ wants to do, he wants to transform us on the inside. We saw that last week in Titus chapter two. He transforms us on the inside. So the way we look at people, the way we look at our job, the way we look at all of these other things is entirely different because our hearts have been transformed on the inside. And so what Paul does, he says, listen, let me just lay out the principle here. Look at verse six. What's the principle that he lays out? Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. and Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's saying, listen, don't forget about this. This is really important. This is about what you do with your money. This is about what you do with the stewardship and trust that you have. And Paul just lays out a simple proverb in the form of a contrast. The contrast goes like this. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You know, sometimes I have a conversation with my, with my wife. She may be talking about work. And, and sometimes she may go through a story, and it's, it's, a, it's a longer story than... It's, it's just a longer story. So what I do is... <laughs> So what I do, and she knows this, and we're good with this. This is this this is the nature of our relation. So I just say, spare me the details. So what does she? She gives me the bullet points, and I get the bullet. I go, oh, okay, I can do that. She's withholding. She's holding back some of the information from me. You know, I, I have a guy um, that, that lives behind us, and he planted a uh, he planted a little um, garden in the back, and I've kind of watched him. He's digging it up, and he's he's uh, uh, put some fencing up around it to keep the little critters out. And, and he's planting a garden with some vegetables in it. And, and as I watch him, when he says he's taking the seed and he's putting the seed out there, and he's not just putting two or three seeds out there. What he's doing, he's trying to fill that square area, if you will, with all kinds of seed. Why? Because the more seed that he plants, the bigger harvest that he's going to reap. And that's the point that he's making here. To give sparingly means this I'm giving with a heart that holds back, I kind of want to keep things. I have it, but I'm, I'm, but I'm not going to let loose of it. And that's one way of giving. But if you go back and look at this text, four times he mentions the word generously. How do you want to be known? How do we want to be uh, known with people when it comes to our time, talent, and treasures? Generous has the idea of a of blessing, uh, of this liberal, open-handed, and this magnanimous type of giving so that we can be a blessing to other people. It means to sow seed on the basis that that I know who God is and I know what he's done in my life and I see all the things that I have as a blessing from him and what I want to do is I want to give those back to him and I want to share my resources with other people because God has graced me in a wonderful and powerful way. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. God owns it all. Mrs. He Clint, here's your stewardship. Here's what's entrusted to you. Now, what are you going to do? Here's the principle you reap what you sow. So, what might we learn from reaping and sowing from this text? Five principles. We'll run through them real quickly. Probably won't get to all of them, but let's just run through them. Based upon that principle of reaping what you sow, how should we respond? Number one is this. Give personally. Look at verse 7. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. It's interesting. When Paul began this letter, he wrote to the church at Corinth. He's writing to a group of people. He's writing to a group of believers at a local. But now notice what he's, he's talking about. Each individual person. Each of you should give. Why would he be doing that? Because every one of us have the capacity, maybe not the same amount, but every one of us have the same capacity to give. It doesn't matter how much money you make. One person may may make more, another person may make less, but we all have the same capacity to give. And it doesn't matter who you are. Age, male, female, Jew, Gentile. When you look at the Church of Corinth, there was a wide range of people here and what he's simply saying is, listen, what we want to do is we want to challenge each one of you to give in such a way, use your gift, your talent, your treasure in such a way so that you are generous to another person. It's a decision that every person has the opportunity to make. It doesn't matter how old you are. Why are kids so willing to give of the resources? Because they see the beauty of it. Jesus actually taught this principle of generosity to his followers. One day when he was sitting across from the temple. One day Jesus is sitting across from the temple. and He's watching all the people come. He's watching all the people come and throw in their money. And in the temple area, there's these 13 kind of trumpet-shaped horns. And people would come, depending on what they wanted to give and where it was going to go. They would take their money and and they would take their coins and, and they would throw it in there. And because if they were giving a substantial amount of money, it would go in and it would just clang around and make a lot of noise. And, well, maybe they would stop and see, oh, look, at so-and-so is giving a lot of money. And it would draw attention to themselves. And Jesus is watching the people do this. And then he watches a poor widow, a poor widow come up and give. And we have the story recorded in Mark chapter 12. Notice what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I like that. They threw in large amounts. Isn't that interesting? Threw in large amounts. Make a lot of noise. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a fraction of a penny. It's about one-eighth of a penny. Can you imagine that? We don't even have one-eighth of a penny. And let me ask you something. When you're walking down the street and you see a penny on the ground, how many of you pick it up? Know, thank you, yeah, God bless you, God bless you. I kind of look around, and I'm like, hey, um. Most of us don't even pick up a penny. You know, you're like, a nickel? Yeah, I'll probably get a nickel. Dime. Okay, I'll draw the line at a dime, but this is a one-eighth of a penny. Calling his disciples, he wanted to make such a point. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. Wait a minute. It can't be right. When you count money, she didn't put more money in than everyone else. Verse 44 says they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. In terms of the amount, she gave less than the wealthy. And did you notice that she put in two small coins? If anyone had the right to hold back one of those coins, to give sparingly, she did, right? But what did she do? It says this: she put it in. What did she put in? She put in her trust in the Lord. That's what she put in. She put her absolute faith and trust in the Lord. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make in the passage. What we want to do is we want to recognize what God has given to us. And each one of us has the capacity to be generous in what he has stewarded to us. So give personally. Second thing is this. Give purposely. Look at verse 7 again. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, some people are, are afraid to, to give. Um, they're hesitant because it's based on simple mathematics. We get this. If I give money away, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Or they don't want to give because, oh, maybe they, they feel a sense of duty. I'm, I don't want to give out of duty. They don't want to give that way. Some people uh, don't give because they, they realize hey, listen, I earned this. I earn, this is my money. In the book of Malachi, God actually rebukes the people because they were withholding their tithes. And you know why he rebuked them? Because they had a false understanding of not only the stewardship entrusted to them, but God is the one who would bless them in such a wonderful, generous way. And they forgot about the blessing of God. And the word here decided it means to do this. It means to give careful thought to the manner in which you would give. In other words, what I do is I, I, I sit down with maybe the money that I'm going to make and the bills that I have and the assets and, and all of the things that I have. And I sit down with my cup of coffee and I go before the Lord and I kind of put all of these things out and I make an intelligent decision. Lord, what is it that you would have me to give? purposely, because I want to give as a cheerful giver. I want to give from my heart. I want to give in such a way that it honors and glorifies you. It's not willy-nilly. It's actually sitting down before the Lord and just sighing, God, I want to do this, and I want to do that in such a way that you ultimately get honor and glory. It says each man should give what he had decided in his heart. Listen, we're not under law. We're not under law. Most people in the New Testament at this particular time, if they were Jewish people, they had a standard of which to give. And it was way beyond 10%. It was 10%. And then they had all of these other festivals in which they were to give. So if they were coming out of Judaism, they had already been ingrained in how to give. It was much more than 10%. And what Paul is doing is Paul is bringing this idea that everyone has an opportunity to give, and everyone has an opportunity to decide in their hearts what they want to do with their time, talent, and treasure. You you have no idea what God can do through your faithful giving. I came across this illustration. There's a man by the name of Nick Venetucci, and he and his wife, Bambi, um, are in the Colorado Springs Pioneer Museum. Um, In the city of Colorado Springs, people called Nick the pumpkin man And starting in the 1950s, and every autumn for 50 years, he invited thousands of school children to visit his farm along the banks of the Monument Creek to pick a free pumpkin and take it home. It started when uh, he was traveling, I think, with a a truck, and he saw busloads of kids, and it started by just inviting the the busload of kids to come and pick. And so he did that for over 50 years, and often he would go helping them to pick out the right one. Each year, and I had to go back and look this up. They hosted between forty and fifty thousand kids. Forty and fifty. Do you know what I did? I, I'm like, I'm gonna do the math on that. Let's say a pumpkin is is a one dollar. Forty to fifty thousand dollars a year times how many years? And this guy did it because he wanted to be kind and loving and generous. The principal of a local elementary school, which is named in Venetucci's honor, said this. He taught our kids the definition of generosity. He gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he never expected anything in return. When Nick died at the age of 93, the community saluted him as a hero because of his kind and generous spirit. He shared the fruit of his labor because he wanted to and it was a decision that he had made in his heart. You know what the text says? It says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Personally, you and I have the opportunity to give and we have the freedom inside of our hearts in ways to respond to other people, to be generous and kind to other people. Okay, we're only gonna get to the next point. Give personally, give purposefully. And last thing I want to talk about this morning, look at verse 7. Give joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, there is a way to give. There is a way to give reluctantly. And you know the difference. And my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. She's talking about, well, our taxes on our house have gone up again. You feel that pinch, you know? Or you go buy a car and you're all excited about going to buy the car, and you go to register the car, and you've got to pay the personal property tax, and you're like, excuse me? How much is that? There is a way of giving reluctantly. They're taking that from me, and it's really hard to write that check. I'm glad I don't write the check. I'm glad that my wife writes those checks for us, because that would be re- that's really hard check to write, and I think we feel the tension there. There is a way to give reluctantly. That's not what God wants. It's it's like this. You're you're in your house and you, the knock on the door, and the and the kid from up the street, three horse three houses down, comes up, and you know him. You recognize him. You recognize the family, and and he's a a good looking sophomore kid. And you know what he's doing. He's got his jersey on from the football team. And you know what he's going to do. He's going to knock on your door and he's going to ask you, Hey, listen, I I'm raising money for the football team again. We, we don't have enough money. and Will you buy one of these cards? I don't know about you, but I'm like. Dude, come on in. Absolutely, how much are they? I'm, I'm more than glad to give you this $20 for this card, even though I may not even use it. Why? Because it's going to a worthy cause, and it's investment in his life and what he wants to do. And what it does, it causes me great joy to be able to give that way. And that's the way God would like us to give. Why? Because he has radically changed our hearts on the inside. We are simply stewards of all that he's entrusted to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for, uh, for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for my sin, to forgive me of my sin and place me in a place where I'm going to live forever and ever and ever in heaven. And he did that. Why? He did that simply because of his grace. You know, you can look at $20, and you can hang on to $20, and you can give $1 away and have 19 or you can not give that $1 away and still have $20, And feel good about that. But if you do that, you're leaving out the mathematical equation of who God is. God says that when you give, you are actually going to receive in abundance so that you can be kind and generous to other people. Our world says to hang on to your stuff, Jesus says to be kind and generous. And give your stuff away because I am the one ultimately who will provide for you so that you can be kind and generous to other people. That's the whole point of being a cheerful giver. Two quotes and then we're done. Winston Churchill said this. Is it on there? Okay, good. We make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. Isn't that true? By what we give away? Martin Luther said this, possessions are not given that we may rely on them and glory in them, but that we may use and enjoy them and share them with others. Our possessions should be in our hands and not in our hearts. So so let me just wrap this up. God is a God of grace. And God comes to us and he wants this grace to abound in us, whether it be for our finances, our time, all of those things. He wants that grace to abound so that we can go he will provide so that we can go and be a conduit of God's grace to other people. Some of you have been around Hope for a lot of years and you have been faithfully giving to Hope Church for many, many years. And let me tell you something. I, I thank you. I thank you for your continual faithful not just for Hope Church, but for our 29, 30 plus missionaries who are in need of your continual financial support and prayer support. I thank you for what you've done. Some of you, maybe you're not as faithful as you like to be. I, I hope that you would be challenged this morning to look at maybe your finances, look at what you're doing with your treasures, your talents, your time, and maybe look at that in such a way. What, what do I have that I can offer to other people in other ways that I can help them? What can I give back in some tangible way to another person, another resource, another way? Because God does love us. He cares for us and he's a good and loving, generous God who pour out his life for us through the person of Jesus so that we might live abundantly through him. Now what it says? I came that you may have life abundantly. Thief comes to kill, to rob and destroy. Father, thank you for, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example of giving his life away in such a way that he loved people, he taught truth, he pointed them to his sacrificial death on the cross as a point of forgiveness for sin. And Father, when we think about and we contemplate all that Jesus has done for us, Father, we can't help, I would hope, to be thankful and grateful. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have blessed us with. Thank you for the faithful men and women of Hope Church. Thank you for the way that you have blessed them, the way that they serve. Thank you for those who served this past week in VBS after working long and hard hours in the daytime to come and give of themselves, Lord. Thank you. And Father, we ask that you would multiply the ministry last week, multiply the blessings that we have been entrusted with so that you would be honored and glorified.